in a crude laboratory in the basement of his home. Welcome to the CEO Raider podcast. It's your host, John Mayetta. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating. Write us a review. It makes it easier for new listeners to find us on Apple's platform and all the other podcast listening platforms. I'm going to jump around a little bit today in technology land. We published a piece yesterday, a very short, short note. Just three M&A ideas. Spaces that I used to play in. One is Ansys. If you know Ansys, they are a software simulation and design company. Play in the broadly defined CAD space. You know, what Ansys does is a bit unique. I'm not going to go into detail about the company. I'm going to assume you know it. If you don't, you can read about it. Ansys is one that I've always thought for years would make sense for SAP to acquire. And SAP is in the middle of digesting a, what was an $11 billion acquisition, I think back in November that they announced. So they're not going to acquire Ansys anytime in the next number of months. But I think in the next 24 to 36 months, you could see SAP swallow Ansys. Ansys would make a lot of sense for SAP's product portfolio, SAP being an ERP company. SAP has a significant footprint across industries, in particular auto, also in aero. And those are two industry verticals where Ansys is is strong. So Ansys would be, in my mind, a perfect product complement to SAP's product portfolio. The companies announced a partnership in the summer of last year. It was either June or July of 18. Furthermore, SAP CEO Bill McDermott has sat on Ansys' board for the past few years. So anytime that happens where you have a senior member sitting on a board, and in this case, you have a, a partnership relationship, helps you to get to know the other company. So one, would an acquisition make sense? And number two, and the answer to number one is yes, by the way, in my view, obviously. And number two, it helps you as the acquirer remove a layer of due diligence or you're basically doing due diligence in real time while you're on the board, while you're a partner. That sort of imbues your due diligence process with knowledge, and it makes it less onerous. Cerner. Cerner partners with Cerner, if you recall, is a healthcare IT company. They, they're one of the two leading companies for electronic medical records, the other one being Epic. Epic is private. Cerner is public. Cerner partners with Amazon and with Apple. I think either of those two companies could potentially acquire Cerner. Amazon partners with Cerner on the AWS side. Apple which I might as well just address now. But particularly in Apple's case, because anytime you you acquire a company, it allows you to enjoy a level of integration on the product side that's difficult to achieve as partners. And I think if you have a combined Cerner Apple, that EMR on the phone, you could do some things from a feature functionality standpoint, from a user experience standpoint, that may be difficult to achieve just through a partnership. And this would fit into Apple's strategy of of providing services, which, which makes sense. We've been negative on Apple. I was negative on Apple the day Tim Cook was named CEO, knowing that he was a a supply chain guy, an operator, not really an innovator. And you could say, well, there's a whole bunch of innovative people belong. But he just had a talk. Tim Cook just had a a sit down with CNBC with with Jim Cramer a couple days ago. And you never get super deep. And I, I, to be honest, I've watched Jim Cramer maybe five or six times in my life. But with those programs, even with a 15-minute sit-down, you never get terribly deep. It's still a lot of company speak. And Cramer was asking Tim Cook about innovation, and Tim Cook said, you know, our our, our watch, the growth in the, in, the, in the Apple Watch outpaced the growth in the original iPod, and so on and so forth. And I thought a lot of Cook's responses were indicative of somebody who's not an innovator. In other words, you know, his, his response to Cramer's question, Cook was comparing apples to apples, a device category in 20. 2019 versus device category in, in years past. But apples to apples, where if that was Steve Jobs, he would, you know, number one, they wouldn't be having that discussion. Number two, Jobs would be asking his people, what's next? Not necessarily what consumer electronic device is next, although the assumption is that would be part of what's next. But 
It's open. It's open field. Anything could be next, right? What is tomorrow's device going to look like? Is it going to be a solid piece of metal, ceramic, this type of thing? Or will the, the form factor completely change? Foldable, bendable, rollable. Does it have to be something that's that's tangible? Can it just be a voice command with ambient AI, as my friend Satish would say, where you could just say, call John Mayetta, the way in which we speak into our voice-powered, AI-powered devices today. But having the AI just kind of being everywhere, embedded in your surrounding, as opposed to having to give that command to a to a device that's plugged into the wall, right? So just the way the, 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 the brain of somebody who's an operator works versus the brain of somebody who's an innovator, it's, it's a completely different thing. So point being, Tim Cook may be thinking, hey, wow, we're really pushing the envelope at Apple. This is, the, the stuff we're working on is amazing. Whereas to the rest of the world or to, to, to much of the world, what Apple's done as, as of late has been incremental improvement. It hasn't exactly blown our socks off. So that, that's why for the past couple of years, we've been writing at Tech Today, and I've been talking about Apple on this podcast in a, in a, in a negative way, not so much in terms of the, the, the valuation of the company per se, but in terms of product unit gro- growth. It was clear that it was going to stall. It was clear that unit growth would stall and go south when you started to see consumer devices, particularly phones, like we've mentioned on the, on the podcast previously, OnePlus and others, that offer almost all of the feature functionality as does the iPhone, looks just as pretty, if not slicker, at a price point that's 20 to 40% lower. So it's obvious that those phones would have an audience in various parts of the world, and that audience would capture unit share from Apple. The implication being when that when that happens, the stock would roll over a bit. But our commentary was more on, on, on product innovation. So I think when we look back at Apple couple years from now, a few years from now, 10 years from now, 100 years from now, it doesn't matter. But when we look back over these past few years, we'll look at it as a period where Apple did a great job of seeding the market with devices. Sure, unit growth slowed in 2017, 18. Great. But at the end of the day, we'll look at this period as a, as a seeding period. Now that you have, however, I don't know what the latest count is, I haven't seen it, but billion plus devices in the marketplace that are active, Apple devices. Now it's obvious to me that the what's next is how can we leverage those active devices? Sure, some of it will be upgrade to, to new devices. But beyond that, what's next ought to be what services can we attach to those devices? So if you think about Amazon, think about all the services they've rolled out in the home that they're attaching to Prime, that they're attaching to Amazon Key. They're, they're proliferating the number of services. So in the case of Apple, we mentioned Cerner in our M&A note because healthcare is, what, 18, 20% of, of GDP here in the United States? So if you drop EMRs on the phone, that gives you a touch point into 18 to 20% of the U.S. economy. And if we can put, if we can empower the consumer as it relates to healthcare. Give us choice, give us access to data, let us shop for healthcare. We can start to break down some of the walls that exist in the industry to prop up various healthcare service providers, and we could change the whole infrastructure. And the patient slash consumer will have the power. The service providers will have to fall in line. The drug producers, regulators, all that stuff will fall in line. But it starts with providing the consumer with visibility into their healthcare, i.e. data, making that data portable, readily accessible, and not just raw data, but information at the end of the day. What insights does my healthcare data provide me with that helps me make better choices about how I live my life, how I select providers, this type of thing. And so Apple, I think, ought to get really aggressive in this space. I think if they're not, they run the risk of Amazon stealing its thunder. Amazon, if you recall, Amazon, J.P. Morgan, Berkshire Hathaway have a joint venture. They have a CEO of that joint venture. They, too, have a partnership with Cerner. 
That's not to say there isn't room for two behemoths in healthcare, but I think in this space, you, you kind of want to be first because both Apple and Amazon already have consumer mind share, consumer trust. And I just think that Apple is better off if they're able to get a leg up on Amazon as it relates to healthcare, healthcare IT. So Apple should acquire Cerner. SSNC is one that we've talked about in the past. I keep mentioning this one because it's, it's, it's an example of a company that plays in a particular vertical that is deploying artificial intelligence, machine learning, robotic process automation in its own business. And I think you're going to see a lot more of this where whether they be a technology company in the case of SSNC or a, a, a manufacturing company, I think AI, ML, RPA, those three technology components are essentially going to be like electricity where companies just, just use them. Companies will have people on staff that know how to leverage these technologies to increase operating efficiency, expedite workflow as it relates to whatever it is that particular company may do. I think in some instances, it makes it's going to make sense for various companies to partner with third parties, third-party AI players, ML players, RPA players, bring them in as, as, as partners, consultants, whatever the case may be. There are a number of companies, I'm sure, that offer turnkey solutions. I can think of a couple. But with, uh, let's call it the Global 2000, you know, the larger companies, so sort of the higher end of the mid-market and on up, I think a lot of these large enterprises over time are going to build their own practices around machine learning, AI, and RPA. So it feels to me like that's a space that's probably a little bit overfunded as far as the venture guys go. But again, SSNC is, I think, one of the early examples of a company that's, that's in its case, has, has written a platform from the ground up that leverages those three technologies, AI, ML, and RPA. And if you recall, SSNC plays in the asset management space, portfolio accounting, custody operations. They have a platform for valuing assets, reporting on assets across varied asset classes, equities, fixed income, commercial real estate, some specialty assets. And I think you could see one of the large outsourcers acquire them as as SSNC rolls out its Singularity platform, which leverages the three technologies I mentioned and gets traction with its Singularity platform. My view is that's going to drive a lot more outsourcing business for SSNC. And as that happens, the big outsourcing companies that maybe dabble a little bit in analytics, but really don't have any hardcore technology. So if you think about the big Indian outsourcers, if you think about Accenture, I think SSNC is a is a target that they'll take a look at. I also think Intercontinental Exchange, ICE, ticker ICE, ICE, if you, if you know those guys, they own, I forget how many ex- global exchanges now, if it's eight or 12, whatever the number is, but they have a data services business. They've talked about data being key to their long-term strategy. And hey, if you want to stay in the capital markets and you're hunting for assets that are data-rich, sort of non-discretionary technology, you, know, you, you, you have to strike an NAV if you're a mutual fund at the end of the night and you need technology to help you do it, uh, which is what, what SSNC does in large part, then SSNC is sort of an obvious one to me if, if you're ICE. So those are the, the sort of the three M&A ideas that we just wrote about at techtoday.com on yesterday. You can find a little snippet there. And I just wanted to talk briefly about some of the large technology companies. So we, we, we talked about Apple. Again, the takeaway there is let's see how aggressive they are in terms of pushing their services initiative, particularly as it relates to healthcare IT-related services. I think in the case of Amazon, I'm excited to see what other acquisitions they roll into Prime. You know, we're seeing more in the Northeast here, at least in the Boston area, more tie-ins, sale disc, you know, Prime member-only type discounting in Whole Foods, 
So you can see how that strategy is starting to, to work. You'd imagine that, that Amazon starts to roll out its healthcare services in part through Whole Foods and, and leverages the physical space they acquired in the Whole Food acquisition. I could see them rolling new service offerings into those physical structures. So I don't think a lot's changed with Amazon. I'm not paying attention to any of this This. Bezos and his wife split and getting a divorce stuff. So it's going to lower Bezos's equity stake from around 15, 16% to some number less. It's a publicly traded company. This doesn't take him from a majority holder to a minority holder. I don't think anybody's going to do a hostel on on Amazon. It's not a privately held company. So I just I don't I don't think there's there's much to 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 to, to see there. I'm more interested in seeing what other services are they going to roll into key and attach to Prime and attach to AWS. I think they've already got a, a broad product portfolio that ties back into AWS and Prime, and those things will continue to grow. So with Amazon, I don't think the question so much is is what's what's next, the way it is with Apple. I'm curious to see what they're going to do in terms of new services and things like this, but it's not as important to the story if you're an investor. They don't have to roll out 20 new discrete services this year in order for the story to be a success. They can leverage what they have or find what they have market what they have. So I think it's kind of the status quo at Amazon. Microsoft is Microsoft. I think they're doing interesting stuff with uh, with the Azure platform and, and open sourcing their machine learning and AI capabilities and trying to get more third-party developers to embed Microsoft AI and ML technology into those third-party applications. So I think their strategy is steady as she goes. And I like what they're doing. With Google, Google, I think the, the, the takeaway there is largely around how can they continue to leverage AI and machine learning across devices, attach services to those devices, uh, sort of the ambient uh, AI phrase that I used earlier in the podcast. You know, how could they push on that strategy? I think it's going to be, well, I think Amazon, uh, Google is going to face some pushback with regard to their G Suite and growing that in the workplace. I think there's a significant opportunity in the SMB market, particularly at the low end. You know, we use it. I like it. But next week, if we started to have a discussion about an M&A scenario, we wouldn't be sharing data and documents through G Suite because Google indexes all that stuff. You know, we'd have to move on to a, a Microsoft, Microsoft platform or a virtual data room or something like this. And I think that's where you get pushed back with, with Google. They're indexing everything. And so to the extent you have private documents, I'd be interested to see. I don't know what Google, what G Suite does to address healthcare in terms of storing healthcare records, because there's a hope, you know, you have the, the HIPAA regulations around that. And so I'm just curious, I don't, I don't know the answer. I wonder if hospitals and healthcare organizations don't use Google for that reason, if Google is sort of banned, and all those guys are on Microsoft or green screens, whatever the case may be, a combination of both, or if Google has a HIPAA-specific compliant solution for, for healthcare. But I know for a fact a lot of financial services companies don't use Google for that reason, because they don't want their proprietary data and information being indexed by the platform. So I think G Suite has some resistance in the marketplace. But I think as far as AI and machine learning go, Google is the is the clear leader. And so with them, I'm really interested to see additional devices for the home. Do they start to play in connected appliances? To me, they need to get a little bit more aggressive with respect to devices for the home. They have Nest, but push it more, market it. But it just feels to me that Amazon has done a better job of messaging with its Ring product line than Google has with, with Nest. And so I haven't seen unit seal comparables or things like this, but that's just my impression as a, as a, as a consumer. And then look, Facebook, I'm not, to, to me, they're not in the same class as, as, as Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Apple. Uh, they've got their issues to deal with. 
they need a next act. And to me, I've always felt that the social media guys, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, the answer has been two things. Media. So how can we get more media on the platform? Live sporting events, all types of media. Right. So, so go out and acquire a, a, a movie studio, because if you don't, Amazon's going to, because they're aggressive in that space as well. And obviously, you've got Netflix to contend with, and, and you get Disney rolling out their streaming content service, not to mention all the other streaming services that are out there. AVOD and SVOD, advertising-based video on demand and, and subscription-based video on demand. So content's one solution, and then the other one's got to be, in, in my view, payments, whether you're Twitter or Facebook. And I know they have that capability, but push it. Push it harder. Make it more user-friendly. Remove friction from the platform. Payments is such an obvious one to me when it comes to Facebook and Twitter. If you're Facebook, go acquire Stripe. That puts you square in the, in the payment space. It, 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 it gives you a big footprint on the fraud detection side of things, not just payment acceptance. If I were to add a fourth one in there, that would be probably the one I would add. Acquire Stripe, acquire Square if you're, if you're Facebook. And oh, by the way, Amazon is already in the banking space. That's another question. When is Amazon going to get into financial services in India where they play? A lot of the customers they transact with pay for, for goods uh, upon receipt with cash. And those consumers have the option of leaving. So let's say a good cost, $4.25, and you, you, you hand the Amazon, the Amazon delivery person a, a $5 bill. You have the option of, of leaving that incremental $0.75 cents in your Amazon account. So that's a depository business as far as I'm concerned. So they already play in banking. And they will grow that business. That's all for now. I'll see you next time.